This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-13 If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always preserves. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we see a face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. It's always at weddings that we hear that passage read, isn't it? Isn't that great just to hear it on Sunday morning in church? And uh, what a reminder it is for us. Hey, do you remember our series in January in the book of Jonah? And, and do you remember one of the main points is that life is... Now wait, don't say it. Who wants to raise her hand and tell me what the last word is? Yes! Wonderful! Man, you retained it. You were listening. Man, I, thank you so much. Okay? <laughs> Can we all say that together? Life is mission. Okay. And here we go, Brett. This is for you. This is your very own Life is Mission t-shirt with Community Covenant on the back. You can exchange it for the proper size in the Mission Cafe. There you go. And by the way, anyone who would like one of those t-shirts, they are available for you in the Mission Cafe. And you've got it. Life is Mission. And we are a community on mission together, and we're sharing life together with Christ in the center. And of course, we know what our mission is here at Community Covenant Church. It's to bring Christ's hope, His healing, and His wholeness to our community and to our world. Okay? Now, 
if we're ever going to do that, and if we're going to do it in a way that has true impact and has eternal purpose and meaning, there's something that has to be the foundation of all that we do. Now, that, that's something we're going to talk about today. And if, if you don't get this, if we don't get this right, what our scripture says and what we're going to learn today is if we don't get this right, really nothing else matters. Okay, that's, that's how important this is, what we're going to talk about today. So I want to start by putting a number on the screen. Okay. All right. Now, this, this goes beyond what I studied in high school. All right. As I understand this, what this is, is 672,768,000. Is that correct? Ah, oh, man. Okay. Does anybody know what that pertains to? Anybody? Tyler, put your hand down. All right. All right. If you live to be 80 years old, now, some of you are, are past 80, so you're beyond this number. Some of you, 80's a long way away, and so you've just kind of started to, to live into this number. But what this number represents is the average person in their lifetime takes... 672,768,000 breaths in a lifetime, okay? Now, I can do the math for you, but you can figure it out. The average person, you know, 16 breaths in a minute, and then you go from there per hour and hours in a day and days in a week and weeks in a month and months in a year. But trust me, I hope this is what it comes out to, okay? All right? I didn't test my work, but... I'm pretty sure that's what it is. So, if you knew that you were coming towards the end of that, and, and really none of us really know when that's going to happen. Uh, some of us are going to exceed that. Some of us, we're going to fall short of that number. But as we think of that number, and if you knew that your life was kind of nearing the end and you were taking your last few breaths... What might be important to you? Well, there was a survey done uh, of a group of individuals. I'll tell you a little bit about it. But I want to give you an example of what was important to them because what has been documented with this group of individuals are their last words. Are you ready? I'll share some of them with you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Take care of yourself. I say this with love. I'm sorry. I say this for my family with love and with God. I love you. To, my fa to the family of my boss, I love you. All I have left is love. Or how about this one? I want to start by saying... I love all of you. Or, I want to tell you folks there, 
I have love in my heart for you. And then finally, first, I would like to give praise to God for the love and grace that he has allowed for all of this to come together. Okay? Now, now what group of people do you think this represents? Well, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice maintains a digital archive of every inmate's last statement before they're executed. Goes all the way back to 1976, and uh, this amounts to nearly 600 prisoners. And the website analyzed all these prisoners' final statements for common words and patterns. Now, of the total number of inmates, the vast majority of them either spoke or wrote out a final statement. And of all of them, without question, the word that was used most often, that was most prominent and present in their statement, was the word love. Other words they used conveyed affection, heart, care, forgiveness. In most cases, the, the words were used to address family members who were either present at the execution or the other side of the glass window. But it is also used to express feelings towards victims, families, lawyers, the court, and even the warden and the prison staff. Now here's the point. No matter who we are, no matter how much we struggle in life, deep down, we are all hungry to give and to receive love from God and from others. So let me ask you this question. If this is representative of the last words of inmates on death row before execution, how much more present ought that ought to be in the church? How much more should love permeate our very being? How much more should, should love be really the, the hallmark of what it means to be in Christian community and to represent our Savior, Jesus Christ, in the world? Now, Jesus himself said, all people will know that you and I, right, are his disciples by what? Our love for one another. That is the single most important identifying characteristic of a Christ follower. Okay? So now I have some questions to ask you. Here's the first one. If that's true, no. Let's go back. Do you have the questions yet? Okay, there you go. Thank you. If that's true, why is it that Christians claim to have the Spirit but show little of the Holy Spirit's power and His love? Here's a second question. Why is it that Christians claim to have the Spirit but spend so much time out of step with that Spirit? We, we sang a praise song today. And, and basically, we were saying, Lord, we want to be in step with your Spirit. But why, as Christians, do we often spend so much time out of step with the Spirit? And here's the final question. And this is perhaps the most challenging. 
Why is the decisive argument against the church for so many people that the church is full of hypocrites and full of dissension or division and strife? I know you hear that, haven't you? Uh, People who, who say, no, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Now, if you really want to rub someone the wrong way, you say, yeah, that may be true, but the only thing smaller than a hypocrite is a person that hides behind one. No, don't say that. No, no, I didn't say this, but don't say that. Okay? But here's the point. Uh, In the early church, as Christianity spread from Jerusalem to the outermost parts of, of the world, right? People heard the gospel and responded because they saw the gospel in action. They saw it in action. They and they saw Christian community and they saw the, the love that bound Christ's followers together. And that love was so attractive, that community was so strong that people were wanted to be a part of it. And we read in the book of Acts early on in the life of the church that there were hundreds, there were thousands of people coming and wanting to be followers of Christ because they saw love in action. They saw it lived out on, on, on the human stage with people who were in love with Jesus and loved each other. And they wanted it. They wanted to be a part of that. Now, I would contend that people haven't changed. That people are the same. That people want to know love. They want to give love. They want to be a part of of a community that's loving. And the church ought to be the place where people run to because the love of our risen Savior Jesus Christ is so present that it's irresistible and people say, I want some of that. But you know what I believe that the main barrier to that is? It's you and me. It's how we live our lives. Are we living in a way that people see the love of Christ in us? And are we relating in a way that people see the love of Christ through us? That's a good question, isn't it? Now in our passage today in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that has a problem. It has a love problem. And that love problem is manifested in divisions in the church. Now, the divisions take many forms. Uh, Some of the divisions are based around uh, their preferences of teachers or or pastors, if you will. And uh, some people say, well, you know, uh, I'm of Apollos or uh, I'm of Cephas or I'm of Paul, or somebody might say, well, you know, my teacher, man, I'm so plugged in. I'm of Jesus himself. And, and they were priding themselves on who their teachers were, or who was it that, that, that helped grow them up in the faith, who taught them the, the doctrine that they practiced. And, and so there was this competition about who my teacher was, who, who's my pastor. And there was division based around that. I can't imagine that, but that's what was going on. 
Uh, and then there were gifts. They, they had spiritual gifts, and those gifts were active in the body of Christ. But then there were people who were, were saying, guess what? My gift is better than your gift. And, and my gift is an indication that I'm more spiritual than you are. So there was a, a spiritual pride that was going on there. And then there were lifestyle issues that were based in an un- improper understanding of, of Christian doctrine and faith and, and, and what it meant to, to come out of a, a non-Christian culture and be blended together uh, as people in a, in a new way of living. And there was confusion and misunderstanding about what that meant. And there was division around that. And then division around some doctrines. And so it was a church divided. And and in our passage today, 1 Corinthians 13, the context is that the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, you're you're missing the point. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you purport yourself to be. That if, if, if you don't have love, if love is missing from among you, all that other stuff really amounts to nothing. And then he, he gives this example. He says, you know, if you, if you speak in the tongues of angels, if, if you have this, this gift, of speaking in tongues in this case. But love is absent and missing in your life. You're like a a clanging gong and banging cymbals. And, And they would have understood that because in ancient Greece, just north of Corinth, uh, there, there were towns and cities where there were cultic practices, pagan believers, and, and they would have um, people who would, would give these uh, ecstatic utterances or prophecies. And the way it would work is their followers would, would circle around them with instruments. And they begin to move around in a circle about the person in the middle. And they'd bang the cymbal and the gongs and they'd wait. And then that person would give some kind of of ecstatic utterance in in a tongue that they didn't understand. And what Paul is saying is, listen, it doesn't matter what your spiritual gift is. It doesn't matter even if you have this gift of tongues in this case. If you don't have love, you're no better than the people up the road who don't know Jesus, who just make a lot of noise. That's, that's how you are. Do you understand that? That's, that's what he's saying. And then he goes on to say that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Okay? Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can we read that together? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now this comes from Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is contrasting uh, the fruit that comes from people's lives when they're living outside of the Spirit of God. Let's call that the flesh. And he's contrasting that with the fruit that is present in the lives of those who are followers of Jesus, who are submitted to the Holy Spirit. And so, love is the first fruit of the Spirit. The ability to love is not a result of our own efforts. Frankly, it's a result of the Spirit of God in our lives. So, love as the first fruit, love is the foundation. It is what unifies all the other fruit together in our lives. Can you see that? In fact, theologian Richard McBrien says it this way. If love is the soul of the Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example, justice without love is egoism. Faith without love is ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is merely duty. Fidelity without love is servitude. Every virtue is an expression of love. No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. And so love, as the first fruit of the Spirit, cannot be manufactured in our own human strength. It's not a result of our own self-sufficiency. We can't conjure it up. We can imitate it, but it's only authentic in our lives when it's a result of the power of the Spirit of God. Now, Tessa, come on up here. Maddie, come on up here. You each get a glass. So, these glasses represent the life of a believer. And their lives are filled with Jesus Christ, the one who is the living water. Now, I want to do something. I want to take two packages of Alka-Seltzer. I'm going to drop one in Maddie's glass. Now, that package represents the Holy Spirit. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God claims us as His own. He gives us the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee that we belong to Him and of our heavenly inheritance to come. Okay? Now, He gives it to us for other reasons too, but all of us who are Christ followers receive the Holy Spirit. But notice, here is the Spirit in the life of this believer, representing the glass that Maddie's holding up. What's going on? 
Nothing. Right? Now, here's the second believer. Here's the Holy Spirit dropped into the glass. Hold that up so everybody can see it. You see what's going on? You see the bubbles. You see what's going on. There's lots of activity. And really what this represents is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. Not only as it relates to Galatians chapter 5, but in 1 Corinthians. That we, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we begin to exhibit, we begin to model Christ-like behavior, character, virtue, as a result of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. But here's the difference. Some of us have the Holy Spirit but are not living in submission or surrender to the Spirit. And so our lives look like this. Others of us understand if we want the fruit of the Spirit, the first fruit being love, which unifies all the other fruit, it's the foundation of all everything, right? That we have to surrender to the Spirit of God in our life. We have to say, Lord, release your Spirit within me, that it might be active, that it might bubble up, that it might overflow, that my life might reflect this glass rather than this glass. Because the love that God is calling us to can only happen as a result of the release of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And each and every one of us, if we're going to experience love as the first fruit of the Spirit, need to be in submission and surrender to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Do you, you see that illustration? All right, let's hear it for Maddie and Tessa. Here's the point. God so what? The world that He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ. God demonstrates His in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater man, wait, greater has no man than to give his life and lay it down for his brother or his sister. In 1 John, John writes, God is love. God is love. Dr. Kenneth Moyner says it this way, Joy is love exalting, and peace is love at rest. Patience is love enduring in every trial and test. Gentleness is love yielding to all that is not sin. Goodness is love in actions that flow from Christ within. Faith is love's eyes opened and loving Christ to see. Meekness is love not fighting but bowed at Calvary. Temperance or self-control is love in harness under Christ's control. Christ is love in person and love is Christ in our soul. Now if you have your Bibles, look again at 1 Corinthians 13 beginning in verse 4. And I'm going to read this a little bit differently. Christ is patient. Christ is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. Christ does not dishonor others. 
He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no records of wrong. Christ does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Christ never fails. Do you see that? That the very characteristic and nature of love that God calls us to is the very life of Christ. That that life might be released in us through his Holy Spirit. That we might exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. And as that's released in us, it's demonstrated in a life of action through us. If we were to sum up Paul's theology of of love, he would say this. Love is defined by Christ giving his life sacrificially, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and expressed in our actions towards others. Martin Luther King said it this way. If any of you are around when I've met my day, meaning when I die, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That's not important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martha Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. That was his greatest achievement. For the next several weeks before Easter, we're going to do a study in the fruit of the Spirit. It's called Bearing Fruit in Prayer. As you see inside your bulletin, your worship guide, is this insert. This is intended for you to to take this home and, and each week you'll receive a different one. And here's the point. That as we are in surrender of the Holy Spirit, we are prayerfully engaging the Spirit of God and asking that that fruit would be manifested in and through our lives. I I invite each of you to to take this home and and to participate in it as we prepare ourselves for Easter. And then finally, as you leave out in the lobby, you'll find these devotionals. Um, The season of Lent begins on Wednesday, and we have two different devotionals from Henry Nouwen. And uh, they cover each day uh, leading up to uh, Easter Sunday. And so this is a great way to prepare yourself um, for the celebration of our Lord's resurrection. So let's the worship team come forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And we ask now in the name of Jesus that the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifested in and through our lives and that we might be a congregation that is known first and foremost as a congregation where love is present. Father, would you help us today not only to seek you but to surrender to you. And Father, may that love fill us 
May it fill this room, may it be the hallmark of our relationships with each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.